And good afternoon and welcome back to Beyond the Devastation. This is episode six. Uh, today we have a special guest because uh, she's married to my best friend. But not only that, but she has a story of her own. And this is today our guest is going to be, as, as I've advertised, uh, Dr. Mary Kay Holmes. She's a Number one, she's the number one international bestseller. She's an author, UN ambassador, motivational speaker, empowerment specialist, mentor, coach, you name it, she's done it. But today she's going to talk about her story of the devastation. And we've got her for two episodes. So I got her for episode six and I got her for episode seven. But I want you to listen intensely today. Uh, we were talking in the green room how one person has been through so much, but yet been able to survive. Uh, She's gone through more than most people have gone through before the age of 20, let alone the age of 30, or I'm not even going to tell your age. That's not my job. But we want you to listen intently, understand what she's been through, and then we're going to bring her back for seven so she can tell you how she got out and how she continues to help other people through her story. And this is what we've asked her to do today. Tell her story. So Let's give her a certainly a warm welcome today as she's on Beyond the Devastation, episode six. This is Dr. Mary Kay Holmes, who I had the privilege of actually performing her wedding. And uh, when she got married to um, her husband, Terry Holmes, and it is, cer it is certainly great, Mary. Thank you for, for your time. I know you're busy. And today I've really kind of wanted to just you to tell your story I've done the intro. I've read your bio, but I don't think it does it justice. I think you can tell the devastating part better than I can. So welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Look, this is an honor because I always say it's always such an honor for me to share my story because I want to bring hope and healing to as many people as I can, because I believe I truly believe that God doesn't waste moments. He doesn't waste any of our uh, moments, any any of our traumas that we go through, any of our situations that we face that seem so devastating in life. But yet later on, you can look back and you can see how now you can utilize that to help others. And so because life happens to everybody and some of us go through some some unimaginable pain in life. And I've certainly had my share, as you mentioned, for one person to go through as much as I've gone through. And, I, and I'm not afraid to share my age. I just turned the big four oh. So I just turned 40. But one of the um, interesting things about my story is that although I met my trafficker, I was human trafficked, but although I met my human trafficker at the age of 15, I didn't know what it was until I was 38 years old. So just two years ago, the light bulb went off and I realized that that's what it was that I went through. But it didn't just start there. It didn't just start with me meeting this man who decided to traffic me and exploit me and use me and manipulate and control and on and on and on. It started early on uh, because people who seek out young girls or young boys or anybody for that matter, because adults can be trafficked as well, they usually can spot out those that are vulnerable, those who have um, different life issues that they've had to face over time that has kind of broken them down. And so their self-esteem is shot. They, they're going through a lot of uh, issues of insecurity and lacking confidence in their prime for uh, people to prey upon them, to prey upon these uh, quote unquote weaknesses. Um, so for me, I was certainly kind of beat up by life by the time I was 15 years old and, and met him. And I'll go back and start where it all really began, which was at the age of four years old. Um, at four years old, I was molested by an older male relative. 
Um, and unfortunately, it continued throughout my early childhood. So it continued for a few years. And I thought it was normal. At that time, I knew it was wrong, but I thought it happened to everybody because it, it was something that was unfortunately very prevalent in my family. Um, so as I got older, I didn't tell anybody um, and I kept it to myself. And as a matter of fact, I stayed private about it probably up until I wrote my first book, which was back in, I think, 2017. And so all of those years from the age of four, holding on to this secret, holding on to this pain and dealing with it on my own, I kept myself bottled up and I had a lot of built up, um, you know, self-esteem issues, a lot of anger. I was acting out as a young teen, uh, so much so that by the time I was 14 years old, I was pregnant for the first time. And at the age of 15, as I mentioned, I met the first man who would human traffic me. And as I just said, it's it's crazy to even say that I was trafficked twice, but by two different men, but most people who are trafficked, unfortunately, are re-victimized. And that is what happened to me. Dr. Mary, can, can you say, I mean, we might have somebody that doesn't even know what that means. What does it mean to be trafficked? Well, it has several definitions. So there's different ways that people can be trafficked. And a lot of times people think about young kids being snatched into white vans. That's like that first image that comes to their mind. Um, young kids being snatched off the street uh, from their parents. But it doesn't always look like that. Human trafficking can literally look like a married couple, who a, a woman who's married to her husband, but her husband exploits her for money, for uh, have her uh, serving in a way that is inhumane, um, you know, like an involuntary servitude kind of thing. Um, it can look like um, a young girl who is in a relationship with an older person or even someone her age. I could have been human trafficked by another teenager if I was being exploited. Um, a prime example of that is like what happened to me, being forced to transport drugs, being a drug mule. And it doesn't just mean transporting drugs across the borders, like from Mexico into the United States. It can literally just mean being forced to do something illegal or any illicit activity um, when you're too young or you're not educated enough to make um, a, dis a rational decision on your own, but you're being forced or manipulated or coerced into it. Um, human trafficking can also look like the um, sex trafficking that many people are familiar with, where you are causing someone else to exploit themselves or to sell their body for money, and you're gaining, you're um, you're profiting off of that, off of them being um, at risk or in the streets and all of that. And this is some unfamiliar ways that human trafficking exists. Um, I'll, I'll just put this out there because I think that it's very important for us to always. Um, you know, just take the opportunity to spread some awareness in ways that many people don't really see often. One of the ways that uh, people can be human trafficked is young boys being put on street corners by older men. And this is something that we see often in the inner city and we see it portrayed in movies. We hear it in the music and a lot of people don't question it because these are usually young minority boys who are 12, 10, sometimes even six, seven years old. And of course, we've we've seen it with teenagers and even older than that, where they're given drugs to sell. They're in a poverty and they're they're in a position of poverty. They don't they're they're desperate and they're exploited. And a lot of times these young boys that we see selling drugs that have gotten charged, who have been locked up, gone to juvenile um, justice systems, 
they have been exploited by older people who are preying on the fact that they want to just help their moms get out of poverty or whatever the case might be. But they're young kids. They don't know but what they're, they're doing. Yeah, they're young and they're vulnerable and, you know, and, and poverty and, and you're marginalized and you're black and brown and you're a target. Exactly. And that's that's all of that wrapped up in the one certainly leads to a life that certainly you didn't want for yourself. But similar yeah. to you, you you had a life. You Again, I think what you said in the beginning when you were being molested at four, it was a norm, you know, and then you didn't really, the lights doesn't go off until later, but all that trauma, right? And then you didn't even have a chance to even come up for air, so to speak, right? You went from that and then you were vulnerable and then you found somebody who trafficked you and then you became slave to that. Right, for seven you know, years. It's almost, it's still an imprisonment. I mean, it might not be behind bars, but you're you. It's a life of servitude, right? You you're you're chained to that that person, right? So you've gone through all that. You're not even sixteen yet, mm -hmm. right? How? Where were you mentally and emotionally through all this time? I mean, did you have a friend? Did you have anybody that that? How did you even cry for help to get to break to break free of some of this stuff? Yeah, well, interesting enough, there was a young lady I was friends with when I met him, when I met the man who trafficked me. Um, her name was Danielle. And she and I we would go to the mall together, going shopping. And when we would take the city bus to go to the mall, that's when I met him. And so she was there when he gave me his phone number, wrote it on a piece of a newspaper, ripped it off, gave it to me. And she saw right through him. Like, we're both young, but she saw, she was, she was like, I don't like him, this old man trying to talk. We didn't know how old he was exactly, but she tried to talk me out of it. And a matter of fact, when I started to date him um, at first, she just distanced herself a little bit more, more over time because the more I got involved with him, the more, the more he tried to interfere with my relationships and started to interfere with my friendships. And so he turned me against everybody who I loved, everybody that I had a support, every support system that I had. He basically made it appear as if he was the only one who really cared about me. And that's a prime. That's one of those huge red flags um, that I just didn't know, because if I had been educated on the signs to look out for, for abusive relationships, uh, signs of human trafficking, I might have uh, recognized these signs early on. So those relationships started to become quickly severed. And years later, as a matter of fact, probably last year, I had I talked about it on Facebook. I talked about what I had gone through um, and she commented, my friend Danielle, she commented and she said, I remember she said and I, she said I, for years I tried to find you and it will always ask about you and try to figure out where you were because I just knew something wasn't right. And I felt so bad that I didn't do more. And I said, no, you did what you could. You, you, you tried. But my mind mentally, I was gone mentally i was already taken i might not have been physically taken but mentally i was already taken and so and that's what and that's what happens a lot of times we fail to see things as human trafficking or situations as human trafficking or abusive because we think oh the person is free to come and go as they please they can leave whenever they want no if you are in prison in your mind um, it is very difficult for you to break free from that person it's almost like a constructive breaking and entering. Like, so in the law, not to get too legal on, on you guys, but in the law, you can physically break a window and get into someone's house or break a lock, but you can also be charged with breaking and entering if you coerce or manipulate someone to get in their house. So although they let you in, but if you use manipulation to get in, oh, you, it's still a breaking and entering. 
And so that's what I feel like happened in my mind. There was a constructive breaking and entering um, for me um, not to take it too deep. But in that sense, I told her, I said, I was already gone. And so when he got me in his, by the time he got me to come to his apartment and I was forbidden to use the phone, I couldn't call out. I couldn't receive calls. I couldn't tell anybody where we were. I couldn't give out his address. I couldn't leave the apartment without his permission. I didn't have a driver's license at the time. This was before cell phones. And so I was now physically trapped. So first he got me mentally and then he physically trapped me inside inside of this small one bedroom apartment way up, you know, somewhere probably about an hour and some change away from my family and friends. I didn't know where I was. Um, and at the same time, I was so scared to reach out. I wasn't allowed to leave the apartment building. And so I stayed put because I had this fear of what he would do because he already started to show uh, signs of being abusive. And eventually it started to become very uh, abusive. So, yeah, I, mentally and emotionally, that's where I was then. I was I, I was trapped in my mind first and then I was physically trapped. And, and, I, and I, for everybody listening. Everybody listening. You got, you got please, please you know what she's saying. Cause causing mental. mental. Your first, your first thing happened, happened. Mm-hmm. Then it then was, it the, was body. the body. So that's so what it's hard to So give us some signs. What should moms and dads be looking at? Or how, what are some things that you went through that now we're, we're in a technology, technology that you didn't have? Yeah. How do we, I, I what that are some things that we can tell the parents to look out for? Yeah, great question. So one of the first things you can look out for is an abrupt change in behavior. Uh, and, you know, children act out in different ways, but that, that's one of the signs. But couple that with all of a sudden they're coming home with new items, brand new sneakers that, you know, they can't afford if they're not working. And, you know, all of a sudden they have new jewelry on or, you know, all of a sudden you're catching them in lies and they're staying out and that you and you don't know who they're with. You don't know their friends um, that they're that they say that they're hanging with. Um, so that that's those are some of the red flags. Um, so what I would always tell parents is know who your children's friends are. So that when your children say, you know, I'm with, you know, I, I'm, I'm with my friend Susie, you should be able to verify, you know, that Susie actually exists. <laughs> And I'll, and I'll give you this quick story to show how ma- manipulators and abusers and traffickers can be so clever in trying to circumvent some of this. The person who did this to me, he sent a young man, a teenager, to my mom's house. Who He had him drive his car to my mom's house and meet my mom so that my mom thought that every time the truck, his truck pulled up to pick me up, that it was the same young kid that she met. So she's thinking I'm dating this teenage boy. Um, so even if... The, the person uh, comes and meets you every time they pull up, come outside and greet them. See who's driving off with your child, your, your son or your daughter. Um, another thing that you can look out for is, you know, just watching for us all of a sudden, like signs of um, elusiveness or distance. All of a sudden, your child has become extremely distant. They don't want to open up or talk about anything. And of course, sometimes that can be normal when we got that teenage angst and all of that stuff. But when they become like that or they or if your child starts to become more elusive or start to distance themselves from everybody and all of the relationships that they've, um, you know, been that they've had in the past that were healthy, all of a sudden they're no longer friends with anybody. All of the relationships are gone and nothing looks the same. 
have the guidance counselors at the school um, talk to them. Utilize all the resources that you can as far as within the school system, because sometimes they might, as a parent, we know that sometimes our children might not open up to us, but they might open up to someone else. So en engage them with a with an aunt, a close aunt or, a, or uncle or someone that you know that they also can trust and try to bring as many people in that can be that new support system, because that is one of the things that people like um, traffickers will do is try to sever those relationships. So start try, start to surround them with new relationships um, to try to restructure that, um, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. So have a backup plan, mm -hmm. have other people involved in life, because it, it always says what it takes a community to raise a child, right? But build a community around them. Mm -hmm. Look for those subtle changes. We should know our children. Mm -hmm. If you see those nuances, look, if they walk in with a pair of Jordans that cost more than what you have in a paycheck, you know something's wrong. Right. And all these little things. So I think she's giving us some things. And now this is, you know, at this time, Dr. Mary is 15, 16, like I said, 15, 16 years old, involved in this relationship. That it's not a relationship. This is this is not. Let me let me rephrase that. This is an incarceration mm. because they, they incarcerated her first because they wouldn't let her go. That's not a relationship. Yeah, that's that's far from it. Your sixth, you know, your sixteenth birthday, Mary. Your seventeenth birthday is. How long did this relationship go on before you actually broke free of this human trafficker? Yeah, so it lasted for seven years, and it seemed like forever because when I, I tell like you, it was like doing a prison bid because I really felt like I couldn't leave. And after a while, I started to just give myself this like I just started to just accept it, accept things the way that they were, and thought I could make the most of it and say, look, he's providing food. He, you can buy whatever you want in the sense that, cause I wasn't, it wasn't like he was taking me on shopping sprees after a while. That was just the hook. At first he was doing that. But then after a while, my basic needs were being met. And, and then I got pregnant by him. And then I had this mentality back then because I was young too. So I was immature and I had these, these prior, my priorities were just out of whack. So in my mind, I said, I, I'm, pregnant with this child. I don't want to have multiple children by different men. So, and I want to be with my child's father. I don't want to be a statistic. So no matter how much it hurts, I'm going to stick and stick with this until it works. I'm going to stick around until things change. And he was also constantly feeding me with these thoughts and feeding me with these quotes that he would say, always repeating because he was indoctrinating me into his way of thinking, into his way of life. And so he would constantly repeat the same things over and over again. And he would constantly make them rhyme so that they would be easy to remember. So just typical, um, I don't even want to get into it because it's almost. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I, it's I, almost I, hilarious. Yeah, now <laughs> it is. Yeah, listen, the fact that you can laugh about it now, you weren't laughing then, but two, right. two, questions, I, two questions I have. One, you were 16. Mm -hmm. What about school? How did you get, how did you even deal with high school? Like you said, there were mm -hmm. counselors and teachers. Yeah. Did they see a change in you? Did they ask any questions? Were, you know, so you, you know, was that, that's certainly number one. But number two is now you were pregnant at 14 and now again at 16? Well, I got pregnant again at 16. He made me have an abortion. And because he knew, he knew that if there was evidence that we were uh, intimate at that at my age, he knew he would be in trouble. I, again, at the same at the same time, I still didn't know how old he was. I was guessing, and he would make me think that he was in his twenties, but at little did I know he was pushing forty. Um, so, in my mind, 
I'm just thinking he's just not ready for a child with me yet. He already had children. He had one, he, I th knew he had one child. To make a long story short, he had children that were my age, but he kept that from me. Um, he would not want me to know because that would clue me in to how old he was. So absolutely, it, it was a, it was a definite tell, um, right? But what so, about your your own schooling? I mean, how did you get your high school degree? How did you get through high school? Because you were still, I mean, sixteen. You were a tenth grader for the most part. You know, so at 16, when he made me have the abortion, um, it was in between my 11th and my, my um, junior and senior year. And then when I got into my senior year, um, I was able to finish out school because, you know, this to me, school was my escape. That was my time away from him. That was my moment to have something to myself. And so I, my plan was to go into the army, to go into the military. And that's, I, I joined, I, I literally, I joined the military. I was sworn in and wow. uh, my husband always laughs at me about this. Cause I always say I was in the army, but I wasn't, I technically wasn't, but I was sworn in and ready to go to um, boot camp. I was ready to go to basic training down at Fort Jackson and Fort the day Jackson. of my graduation. Yes. Yeah, relaxing Jackson. I was supposed to go there. And my recruiter was at the graduation waiting to take me. And I had to tell him that I was pregnant again, that I, now I could not go. But I, I remember feeling like, okay, all of my hopes and my dreams, because my dream was to go into the army, go to school, write for the Stars and Stripes, because I wanted to be a writer. Um, which is a, the newspaper. And so I, I, I wanted to be this awesome, this amazing journalist. I had dreams. All of that came crashing down. And my recruiter, I'll never forget it. He sat down with me and he cried like a baby. He just like the tears would not just stop coming. He was like, why would you do this? And, you know, and, and that's a whole nother story in and of itself. But right. I was able to, um, I wasn't able to go and, but I was still able to redirect myself well, not by myself, but redirect myself with the help of my guidance counselor at school. I'll never forget her. Her name was Teresa. And Teresa helped me to get as many college applications out as possible in the short, short window of time that I had because plan, plans had drastically changed. And so that summer, we got all the applications out. I got scholarships. I got the financial aid that I needed. And I was able to, re, uh, to enroll in a state college um, that same uh, year, that fall. But I was pregnant. So... I was doing everything that I can to continue with my dream. So um, by the time I got to the end of that fall semester, I knew that I had to take a, a semester off to have my baby. And then my goal was to, as soon as I could, go right back in, if possible, enroll for the summer and go back in for the fall semester full time. That, that was my goal. And that's actually um, what I wound up doing. At, but I, I did my, ne my next fall semester part time and worked part time overnight. Because again, I was determined. I said, education, that belongs to me. That's, right. that's, he can't, he can control it, control everything else. But, he but in my mind, great. this was the one thing he could not take. Which is great. Which is great. Was still there. Still there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So now you're 22. You're a mom for the most, you're really a single mom for the most part. Um, you're going to school, you're working, but you're still you're still captive. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Cause there was so much that had been, like I said, he would put these, th these thoughts and these ideas in my head. Um, so I had to come out of that. Like even, even after I was able to get out and finally leave him, um, 
And maybe that's something we can talk about in episode two, but or, or we are, yeah, we definitely are. There's no doubt about it. Yes. But just when I was able to get out, I was still so damaged that that's how I was able to get re-victimized by another man. And that got me into the sex trafficking to where I'm being pimped. And all of that was because I hadn't yet healed from the first situation that I was able to escape out of. Because I was able to physically get out of it, but mentally I was still in it. So this is where I'm going to put a pause <laughs> because I, I think this is where we need to kind of time out and say, we're going to bring Mary back because this is, we're still dealing with it, but hopefully we'll get a chance to get to where she is today. Look, I've been putting up her website I'm going to kind of look, if you want to find out more about Mary, you can go right to her website. If you're interested in Mary being a, a, one of your speakers or you're looking for mentoring or coaching, go to www.maryholmes.com and you can find out how you can get in contact with her and how she can help you, your organization, whether it's a Fortune 500 company or it's a nonprofit. She has the skill set to be able to help you to find that inner person in you that can get you to where you you need to go because she was able to be she was able to get it done. But next week when we come back, we're going to go to episode 7. We'll hear more of Mary's story and um but again, www.maryholmes.com um, take a screenshot, do whatever you've got to do. You'll find out more about her. You'll get the information you need. You'll find out how she can come into your organization. And this is what I do know. If she can change the life of one person, it's worth it. Um, and we'll find out who who's the, the game changer for her next week when you come back. So thank you, Dr. Mary. Thank you for being a part of it. We're going to close this session out today. We're going to have you come back next week and tell more of your story. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And we're going to go out on like we normally do. So let's play our little song. Thank mm -hmm. you.